This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Some time ago, weeks ago, we're not talking months or years, some weeks ago, I stumbled upon this TLC show called Long Lost Family. Now, some of you have probably seen this, some of you haven't. It's it's less tawdry than my 600-pound life <laughs> and some of the others. But it is an interesting proposition because what it is essentially is every show has two different stories of adopted children seeking their birth parents or vice versa. And over the course of the show, there's investigation done and there's the backstories and all the rest. And inevitably they find the people and there is a lovely soft filter, tear filled reunion in which they find these people. There's nothing ever but good news in these stories. It is always a happy ending that the reunion of these people who have missed each other for their entire life and have done nothing but think about the families that they missed out on are brought together in a beautiful and tied up in a beautiful bow. And frankly, to my thinking, suggests that the whole adoption thing in the whole beginning was, was all kind of a mistake. Really, if I had it to do all over again, I would never have done this because I missed out on so much by losing you. Now I'm speaking as someone who was adopted. So I'm not speaking, you know, as someone who doesn't really know what I'm talking about, but is it always this way when people go and find their birth parents or find their kids they've given up for adoption, hunt them down? Is it always this way? And more importantly, and this is a question I've always asked, should we even be doing this? Because many of these parents, especially here in Ontario, or not especially, but in here in Ontario as an example, many of these parents gave up their children for good reasons for adoption on the promise that their identities would be kept a secret. They would not have some thing come back to bite them later on in their life. Should those children then be tracking down those parents to find them? Regardless of what the need is that they feel, is that a fair thing to do? It's a fascinating topic. Here to join me to help explain this, Laura Egertson is the director of the Adoption Council of Canada. Laura joins me now. Laura, thanks for doing this tonight. You're welcome, Scott. Um, as we start, I know it says on your website, so I'm not giving away any state secrets here. You were adopted. Have you ever tracked down your birth parents? I have not at this point, although I am thinking about trying to find out what information I can. Has there been a reason you haven't done it to this point or just never been a pressing issue? Well, in my own case, I guess I didn't feel quite as, quite as much of a need as I know that many people who have been adopted do to find out the story of the first part of their lives. But it's something that I really understand. And, uh, you know, it's a very personal decision, and there are times in your life when it may seem like it's the right time to do it. People just decide that at very different times. This is obviously something you're working with all the time. So you're dealing with people on both sides of this equation uh, regularly. Explain, when you talk about that need, when you hear people explain it, what, what is the need that they feel when they decide they want to go and find their birth parent or, or, or child that they gave up? Well, sometimes, in some cases, it's, it's a very urgent need and it has to do with medical information. A lot of times, depending on when someone was adopted, there isn't a very full medical record, for example, and sometimes people have a condition that develops later in life and they really actually need that information. And more than that, they want to talk to somebody in their birth family 
who has dealt with the same issue. So that's one thing that can happen. But there's also just a, a very visceral need, I think, for identity that strikes many of us, if not all, all of us at a certain time in our lives, and it's hard to predict when that's going to happen. So a lot of people just want the basic information about who I am and where did I come from? How did my story start? How did I get to this point? Sometimes they've had very happy adoptions. My experience was extremely happy. Uh, Other people have not. They may feel, and some people feel, they tell us, that they have never really fit into the family that did adopt them. And they want to see if they have a different connection with their birth family. And some people don't want an actual relationship. They just want information. So it really varies. But yes, we get calls every day from people who are looking to reunite. We get calls from people who want to spend time with their birth family once they have reunited. We get calls from people who are seeking to find the children that they have given up for adoption or made an adoption plan for. What is the situation in Ontario as far as this goes, as far as being able to find it? What have we, what has the province done for those people who want to be able to find the connection? Is there, is there an easy way now? I know it's been made easier, but is there an easy way to do it? There is a, a, there are open records now in Ontario. So it depends on when you are adopted, how easy or not it is. But currently, if you have been adopted recently, uh, you can get the information as soon as you turn 19. Sorry, my dogs are That's okay. <laughs> um, so what happens is your uh, birth family will get a copy of your new name once you've been adopted, and you will get information as well. They can get the uh, new birth certificate. Unless there has been an adoption uh, dis- uh, dis- a disclosure, disclosure veto filed, which means that the other party does not want contact. And many uh, many provinces actually have that uh, same uh, provision, that if somebody files a non-disclosure veto, they can sort of block the information from coming out. But other provinces now, um, Saskatchewan's just opened their records, Manitoba has opened their records recently, uh, it, it now is much easier to get the information. It's still a long process. You know, you can't just kind of phone up and get the information. In Manitoba, for instance, you have to file an affidavit, which is a bit of a barrier to some people because you have to go to a lawyer and pay them to notarize your form that you fill in. So it just it really varies across the country. And but some provinces are still not open in terms of, that means you will not get the information. Is this a good thing though? And, and again, you and I both speaking as people who were adopted, so we're both, we're both in this situation. Is, the reason I say, is it a good thing? Because back, if you go back a number of years to my age anyway, the people who gave their kids up for adoption, as I understand it, were basically promised, you know what, this is not going to come back on you. You're not going to have someone show up at your door years later. And for some of them, that was part of the consideration here. That was part of why I was able to do it. I could do this because it's not going to blow up in my face down the road. No one's going to show up. If I don't tell my family that I eventually get, no one's going to show up and put a bomb into the middle of my life. Is it a good thing we're doing this? Well, I think it's a good thing because I think people do, many people do need and maybe even have a right to that information about themselves. I still don't think too many people just show up on somebody's doorstep because I think you're right. Privacy is a condition, and I mean, it, it was a consideration that people had when they were, depending on, so I was, I'm 54, so when I was adopted, when my birth parents uh, made an adoption order, or, or made an adoption plan for me, and again, I don't know the circumstances, so I don't know if there was societal pressure, there probably was, that was uh, responsible for that decision, I have no idea. 
but at that point, um, there were there were guarantees, so to speak, of privacy offered. So yeah, that's a consideration. On the other hand, at that point, it was considered a shameful thing in mm. many cases to be pregnant out of wedlock. I think society has evolved. I think we understand that it's not a shameful thing anymore, nor should it be. And so why are we making this such a mysterious thing? Like, let's be open from the beginning. What we have now when people are adopted is much more contact between birth families and adoptive families. Open adoption is much more often the norm than not. And so it should be because really, and I have adopted children as well, they, um, if they're adopted through the public system in Ontario, they're often older. They have memories. They remember their birth parents. They know yeah. them. They know their family. They need that contact and that information. So overall, I'd say, yeah, we are doing the right thing by making it uh, a more open process. It is still um, quite possible that people can say, no, I, d- I want to give information, but I don't want to meet or I don't want to have a relationship. And that's okay, too. I think we just give as many options as possible and remove the stigma here. Is there anything... In, has the province put anything together as far as, and maybe I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but a, a website or something where you could, you know, I'm the adoptive parent. I say, I want to meet, here's the, the date of the birth and the, the name, whatever. And then the, the person who's a child can also go on. And if there's a match, then you can find the person as opposed to, as I say, the idea of potentially showing up against their wishes. It seems like the, with our technology we have, with the internet, with everything else, this should be a very simple process almost to be able to connect these people. I think because it's still quite a traumatic thing, or it can be for people, uh, the province hasn't gone quite that far as putting up a website and say, here, look for yourself. What they have done is they do have a post-adoption registry, and you can register on that, as can birth parents, and they can make those connections or help you make those connections. So there is that service. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't, you know, here's the information, show up on the doorstep. It's, there's some, I think there are some uh, social workers involved and um, you know, we, we always counsel people to really consider everybody's feelings in the process. As you say, uh, it's quite likely, depending on when you were adopted, that uh, your birth parents may have other children and, and another family now who may or may not know anything about the exactly. And further, there may have been, as you say, really critical reasons that they weren't able to parent the child or children. Maybe there were mental health issues, maybe there were addictions issues. That's much more common now in terms of why children come into care. So you want to make sure that it's safe as well to have contact, safe for both the, the people who may be you know, reliving a traumatic event and safe for the people who may be doing the contacting. So, you know, we do caution people to think long and carefully, take it slowly, you know, don't just, we, we never say just show up on a doorstep. Uh, it's better always to establish some contact first by email, by letter, by phone, you know, and feel the situation out. Because sometimes as well, things will go okay. You will have what you were talking about, those tear-filled reunions mm. initially, and it will not it will not continue quite so rosy. You know, there are reasons often why um, these things don't go well later. Well, how often? Because, I mean, as you just touched on it, in the, on this show, every reunion is glorious. Everyone is emotionally charged and wonderful. In your experience, 
Does that happen? Is that the norm? Is that the most common result of these things? Or are they more challenging than that? I think they're often more challenging than that. I don't think anybody has any concrete stats. Certainly we don't. But, you know, personally, from personal experience of friends who have done it, I know that there are, you know, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it goes well for a time and then it doesn't. Because it is very complex. It brings up old wounds. So, you know, people have their own traumas that they're dealing with often through all of this. In your, in, in your experience, is adoption right now considered an acceptable thing to do? And I don't mean to adopt. I'm talking about if you are a, a young girl, if you're a woman who has a child, is it considered okay these days, acceptable behavior to give up a child for adoption? Or is that considered kind of giving a piece of yourself away and you'll be looked at funny by people for not sticking it out? I, I've always got the impression that times have changed and it's seen as less acceptable now. I think it depends. Uh, I think that we try and use language like make an adoption plan. I don't know how often people actually get counseling or get advice about the fact that, in fact, it may be good for a young person who is single, for example, and doesn't have a lot of support to place a child, to make an adoption plan for that child, especially since they can still have contact because open adoption is so much more acceptable now. So I would say the stigma is less much less now. However, um, there are also more social supports for uh, particularly young parents who are trying to raise and parent their children on their own. And that may be good. Often it is good. There are some amazing young parents. Other times, uh, it it may indeed be uh, a positive thing for people to place a child for adoption, continue to have contact, continue to be part of that child's life. It's a very individual decision. But it sounds like the way it's done is vastly different from the old days where you would, when you hear all these stories, the mother would give birth and they would take the child before she could hold it and it would be put off in the nursery somewhere and then a family would come in and take it and that was the end of it. It sounds like things are very different now. Things are very different now. Any good practitioner, any anyone who's doing it right will be ensuring that there's contact, that there's, uh, and not everyone wants it, but if if the parent who is making an adoption plan wants the contact, that that will be there, that the adoptive parents agree to that, know it from the, from the beginning, and that everyone is open about the process. I think that if children grow up knowing their whole story and knowing that both sets of parents can be part of their lives, that is much better and it's much healthier. There are fewer questions. There are no unanswered questions, hopefully. And it's just, uh, it's a healthier thing because when you and I were uh, adopted, I'm sure even even if we didn't have any driving need, we always had questions. We wondered. And a lot of people build really strong fantasy lives over what they, what they think their birth circumstances and birth families, who they were. It's not always uh, true and it can lead to, you know, I guess it, it just can it can it can be deflating when you find out it may not have been quite that way. So I, I think it's far healthier to be open to give everybody as much inf- information and contact as possible, as is safe. The other thing to to consider is that many of the children now coming into care uh, are not coming from just a single unwed parent perspective. They're coming into care after some abuse or neglect. So you have to make sure now that when there is or if there is contact or reunion that it's safe and that's a significant consideration uh yeah you know my uh my 
fantasy about this whole thing would be that my birth father was Bill Gates, but I'm thinking <laughs> the chances of that are quite small. Um, I might actually track him down if it, find, if it turns out that's the case. But, but that uh, is, in fact, <laughs> the very fear of many birth parents who get contacted is that the child wants it, something from them. And the other way around. Because, yes. you know what, I'm sure for a lot, of, we got to go, but a lot of the kids who are looking are worried that their parent might need might be desolate or might have no money or might be emotionally needy and what are you walking into? Right, and and so that's why we caution people to be careful to mm. try and do it slowly and to get some counseling if they can during the process. Laura Egertson, the Director of the Adoption Council of Canada. Thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Scott. That is, uh, it is... A very interesting topic. If, if you watch the show, again, it's, it's fine. It's a, it's a TV show. They do it like a TV show. But man, oh man, reality seems, when you're watching this, to be far from the screen. Everything is always perfect. And it just, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, it doesn't really work like this all the time, does it? Does it? The answer is no. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. But talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, because the playoffs begin tomorrow. And yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs are, in fact, I mean, I know it's almost a miracle, but the Stanley, the Toronto Maple Leafs are in the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is the first time since, I think, 2003 in a full season that they have made the playoffs. It's staggering. It's startling. It's almost incomprehensible to most of us. Uh, tomorrow night, Senators open against Boston, Oilers open against the Sharks, Canadians open against the Rangers, then Thursday the Leafs, and the Flames open against the Ducks. little different from last year when there were zero Canadian teams. Now there's five. Zero last year, five this year. Chris Zelkovich is a sports media critic. He's a guy we love having on this show, one of our favorite guests. Um, last year at this time, I had Chris on which essentially was about the Rogers' wake since the uh, executives there had spent, I don't know, whatever, built billions of dollars for a 12-year deal and no Canadian teams were in it and all of the executives were dusting up their resumes and probably drinking very heavily. Chris, uh, you think the Rogers folks in the tall offices in Toronto are feeling a little better today? Yeah, they're probably drinking just as heavily. It's just <laughs> <laughs> This, Better this, stuff. This it's champagne instead of beer. Yeah. <laughs> instead, yeah. Instead of moonshine, they're making in their bathtub. <laughs> yeah. Or no, Drano. I mean, yeah, I mean, really, uh, I think it's beyond their wildest dreams because I think, uh, well, I know we talked to Scott Moore uh, when the season started and he was touting the uh, the fact that people will be excited about Mitch Marner and, uh, and Austin Matthews. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't likely that the Leafs were going to make the playoffs, so they weren't even counting on that. So to get the Leafs in, of course, who are the number one draw in the country, is a major bonus for uh, Rogers. So, you know, they're, where, where they were looking at uh, big losses last year, now they're uh, they're dreaming of big, uh, big profits this season. Well, and it's not just that they've got five teams in. This schedule probably could not have aligned itself better for Rodgers because none of the five Canadian teams play against each other, so you're not having one of them knock the other one out. They are in different time zones. Um, it, it, like it basically is the perfect scenario for Rodgers. They can have a Canadian team on the TV almost all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it. Uh, you know, I mean, when you consider like last year, what happened was a once in a fifty-something year. Um, drought. I see a drought anyway. The, the, you know, the fact there were no Canadian teams hadn't happened in half a century. So now we have a situation uh, where everything lines up. So uh, I guess I guess they were due one. Toronto, you, you touched on it. Toronto is clearly the team 
that they would like to stick around the longest. Not that they're fans necessarily, but Toronto has the biggest audience and the biggest yeah. number of people, so that's the biggest money maker for them. You've got Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa. Leave Toronto out for a second. Other than that, of the four teams, put them in order that Rogers would like those teams to survive in the playoffs. As far as importance, as far as what they could draw for, for fans, do you think? Uh, well, Montreal, I think, is clearly second. Uh, they have the, the second largest fan base um, next to the Leafs, um, simply because they've been around forever, the storied franchise, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, Montreal second. After that, uh, well, I'll put all you, there's an obvious one, which is Ottawa fifth. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ottawa, and it's nothing to do with anything other than the fact that they're, it's a very small market. Uh, they have the smallest regional reach of any team. They have no following nationally except for cousins of people who live in Ottawa. Um, so they're last. After that, I would say Edmonton would be your next choice because of Connor McDavid and then, uh, and then Calgary. Uh, Vancouver, had they made it, would have mm. been probably up there with, uh, with the Canadians. Well, what's interesting is that, and the reason I asked that question, it's not necessarily just biggest cities counting down. Yes, with Toronto and probably yes with Montreal, though their teams also have the huge fan bases, but it's not just the biggest city, next, 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 next. There are stories here, and you touch on the Connor McDavid. If he could stick around for a while, I got to believe that Rogers and CBC and everyone else, they would love that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a great story, and... uh... You know, I, I think despite what the guy has done this year, I think he's still, the legend is still being built. Mm. I, you know, I still think outside of hardcore hockey fans, uh, nobody really knows who this guy is. He's not uh, He's not Gretzky. Uh, he's not even Lemieux. Uh, he will be, or he could be, but he isn't at this point. So, uh, you know, that's a great investment for the future for, uh, for Rogers to uh, have this guy uh, start to build his national legend, assuming they... Uh, they move on, or at least he uh, he turns in a great performance. And, you know, the, the, I'm trying to think of the last time Calgary went on a great run. One of the weird things about Calgary, you know, there are people around the country who hate the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver is loved in Vancouver, and the rest of the country kind of hates them. Same with Ottawa. Toronto can be that way. Calgary, for whatever reason, last time they went on a great run, the whole country took to them. And it seems like, you know, they're, they're sort of this benign, who hates Calgary kind of thing, that if they went on a run, it'll be, okay, you know what, I'll buy into that. Yeah. Well, Edmonton hates Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that's true. But, but you're right, uh, you know, they're sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, what's the hate about Calgary? But, you know, I, this happened, uh, I can't remember now how many years back, when Edmonton went on this improbable run. Well, actually, they made it to the final, uh, a team that wasn't supposed to be there. And it, it, they really caught the nation's attention. I remember the... The numbers for those uh, games in the final were were remarkably high. It, it's all and, and they were a team that shouldn't have been there. Nope. So Chris, Chris Pronger carried them, and they went to Game Seven, and yeah, it was it was against yeah. against Carolina. They lost to Carolina yeah, in Game Seven. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's really what uh, you know the, what will make the difference if there's a great story there. I mean, I I think this year it would have to be the Leafs, right? I mean, a team that came from nowhere. So if they could get that going they could somehow get past washington i mean you would see phenomenal interest although uh that interest is there anyway because of the leafs but uh calgary could catch fire edmonton certainly could if if uh, they had they go go a long way especially with the uh, the lure of mcdavid um the team that probably will still always have the the toughest uh, road to hoe when it comes to attracting fans outside their home region is poor old ottawa mm. i don't uh, quite understand why but they're just 
they're just an afterthought, it appears, everywhere but in Ottawa. Well, I'm sure that somewhere, again, in those tall glass offices of Rogers, that some executive has put some, thrown some chicken bones and done whatever else, because potentially... If I'm right, it could line up that in the semifinals, if everything broke exactly the way everybody wanted, you could have Toronto versus Montreal and Calgary versus Edmonton, yeah. which which literally would have these guys, I don't even know what they'd be drinking then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the dream matchup if that were to happen. Uh, I mean, And really, they, they couldn't, uh, I mean, outside of having, uh, well, Toronto-Montreal final, of course, wouldn't be possible, but unless, you know, a Toronto-Vancouver final would be probably their ultimate dream. Um, but th- this would certainly be the next thing to it. The numbers, uh, I understand that, you know, they, the networks, Rogers, or uh, Sportsnet and TSN, um, and I know you get these as well. The one thing that those networks have done, i got to tell you, in the last four or five years, is up their media release, their press release game. We get press releases now almost daily about everything. If yeah. they are hosting the World Tiddlywinks thing on their network, we will have it along with the Twitter feeds for every person who's involved and on and on. But we, of course, get the numbers. The numbers this year for hockey are up considerably. Do you believe that this is entirely the result of better? I think it certainly has something to do with it, but is this entirely the result of Canadian teams doing better or... Does the Ron McLean taking over for George Strombolopoulos have anything at all to do with, honestly, to do with it? Yeah. Well, what what the Ron McLean return did was it 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 brought back a lot of hardcore hockey fans who had decided to pass on the pregame show, the uh, the Saturday night half hour pregame show, the games themselves. I mean, look, you know, you could put me on there in in a bad suit, and people would still tune in. Because it's the hockey game. I would. <laughs> you haven't seen my suit. <laughs> uh, no, the game itself is strictly the you know that that is that is the uh, the product of having not only Canadian teams that are winning, but Canadian teams that are entertaining too. Um, so that you know, yeah, that's that's really what that is. But I will give credit to uh, to Ron for having salvaged the pregame show because that uh, that was drawing numbers that were. Absolutely horrible. But they've also they've also made the entire production it seems a little less frenetic. They're not having people on the second floor of the studio throwing the people on glass floors into another panel here and there. It seems like it's a little settled down, for lack of any better oh, word. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, there were there were far too many characters in the uh, in the previous incarnation, and 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 a lot of annoying characters too. Um, but again, I mean, the intermissions are you know, half an hour out of a three-hour broadcast. So it's still insignificant. You know, it's the game. The game is what pulls people in. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, hats off to Rogers for admitting they made a mistake and, and at least trying to fix it. Um, I'm not entirely sure they fixed it. It's basically just went back to what it used to be. Uh, but regardless, it worked. So, well, uh, so could we, do you anticipate then? Because they were willing to try some rather you know, big stuff, big changes. Could you anticipate then down the road anyone will ever really tinker with this again? I mean, I go back to the idea of the Fox track, the glow puck that was tried once upon a time, (laughs) and the idea that anyone would ever try to bring that back seems unfathomable because of the way it blew up. Could you see any hockey producer in five years or ten years say, you know what, I'm going to try and blow this up again? Or do you look and you go, no, we tried that. Let's just stick with what we know works. Well, I think, uh, you know, 
somewhere along the line they're going to have to. I mean, Don Cherry's uh, 83, I think. Uh, anyway, he's in his 80s. I mean, the man is not going to live forever, and he's not going to, uh, you know, be able to be on the air forever. So they're going to have to make, you know, a major change is going to be coming anyway. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, they, they have to they have to look at that, that, you know, young blood is needed. Um, but I think, uh, I think Ron McLean's job is safe for some time yet. So, uh, you know, I don't think we'll see anything major there unless, say the Canadian teams keep winning and what's happening in the rest of the TB business happens to hockey, which is ratings are, you know, start to drop. Uh, it's happening across the entire TV business. Um, that is something that they would have to look at and say, well, you know, maybe we've got to take a gamble. Because I, I, I still think what they attempted to do was had a good intentions. That was draw a new audience to hockey, and they need to do that. Unfortunately, they, they chose the wrong guy and, and the wrong format. But I still think their intent was, was one that uh, you know, definitely was admirable and one they're going to have to execute at some point because uh, you know, continuing to attract the same people is not going to work down the road. So what's interesting is that when the NHL, when the Stanley Cup playoffs kick off tomorrow, um, you're also right at the very beginning of the Blue Jays season. And we know that the Blue Jays for the last couple of years have been the cash cow ratings giant for Rogers. Um, these, these hockey games with all the Canadian teams, you would think, Chris, are going to draw viewers away from baseball in the short term anyway. Does Rogers care? Because it all, I mean, ultimately it's all under the Rogers umbrella. Does it make any difference to them monetarily, viewership wise, where the audience is splintered as long as they're all watching Rogers? Or is there any reason why they would be concerned about people not watching the Jays? Um, no, I don't think so. And I think uh, the main reason is the quality of the audience. Baseball still is uh, basically a semi geriatric sport on TV. Uh, young people generally aren't watching the Blue Jays. It's, it's that's, you know, 50-plus 50 50 audience that uh, is the hardcore. Uh, hockey has a much younger audience, and I think that's, if, if, they can, if they can milk hockey for that, then they're going to do that regardless. So it's, it's, it's gravy for them. And baseball also has, for the Blue Jays in particular, have a kind of a, a, a loyal following that, that won't be watching hockey. They'll be watching the Blue Jays regardless. So you may see the numbers down a bit during the playoffs, but they won't they won't uh, drop uh, substantially to the point where you know Rogers has to give money back to advertisers or anything like that. They're, these are glory days for Rogers. And what about the Raptors then? I mean, they sort of get lost in this. They're starting their playoffs as well. Yeah. They made some huge gains in the last couple of years when there was nothing else to watch this time right. of year. No, that's a very good point, and I think the Raptors are the one. The Raptors and TFC, I think, are the two that could suffer. Uh, because of, especially if uh, the Leafs or any of the, the, the Canadian teams go on a long run, because again, it's, it's a younger audience, and they're going to be more excited about hockey in the playoffs than they are about uh, about about the TFC in a regular season, and even the Raptors in the playoffs. So uh, those are the two that could uh, could take a hit. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the uh, the turf war now that it's uh, outside the Air Canada Centre in the Jurassic Park or the Leaf Zone or whatever the Fan Zone. Both fan bases have take have claimed that that's their area. Um, the day that they both play, I, I'm I'm looking forward. This is going to be like a you know the Jets and the Sharks breaking out there. I don't know if there'll be any dancing going on or singing, but um, 
That yeah. will be interesting. Yeah, let's hope they've got some good security on, on on hand for that because that could get ugly. I'm sure that United <laughs> Airlines has a few guys they don't mind bringing by to throw some muscle around. Yeah, maybe Sean Spicer could show up <laughs> liven things up. Chris Zelkovich, always love having you on. Thanks for doing this okay. tonight. Thank you very much, Scott. That always is uh, Chris Zelkovich, sports media critic. Um, playoff starts tomorrow night. Lots and lots of Canadian content. More Canadian content than we've seen in a long, long time. Pretty much any time. Now, we know that you're not going to do this because you're going to be listening to the Scott Radley Show. But you will have the visual on your TV. Anytime you put your TV on in the evening, pretty much now, you'll see a Canadian team. That's new. We haven't seen that. Whether it's the early game, the late game, one night, the next night, one night, the next night. It is all Canadian, or at least for the next week or two, it's all Canadian hockey all the time. The positive side, by the way, because I said to Chris, one of the great things about this schedule for Rogers is that you don't have two Canadian teams bumping into each other, eliminating each other. That can be a positive or all five Canadian teams could be eliminated in the first round, which would then take us right back to where we were. I don't expect that to happen, but for the next little while anyway, it is all Canadian hockey all the time. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.